from Griffith University, I'm David Tuffley, and this is the Smart Society Podcast, the podcast that takes you on a guided tour of the high-tech world of today. Artificial intelligence is a very hot topic these days, and there are many people who are excited by what's coming, and quite a few people who are a little bit worried about what's coming towards us in the future from the whole world of AI. People are worried about losing their jobs. People are worried about, well, restructuring of the economy and things like that. One initiative of the Queensland government has been to establish uh, an AI hub. And Dr. Sue Kay has been appointed director of the hub. Sue has a very interesting and illustrious career with uh, Data61, the CSIRO's research uh, unit, uh, amongst other things, and has a very good background in the whole AI area. No one better, really, to take over the running of this and um, guide us towards... Uh, a more interesting and capable future in AI. Very good morning to you, Sue. Good morning, David. Sue, can you fill us in on a few of the ways that uh, the Hub is going about um, improving and enhancing AI in Queensland? Well, at its heart, the Queensland AI Hub is a connector, and so we're set up to try and bring AI creators together with people who will be consuming AI and also to help increase the general awareness of what artificial intelligence is and what it can and can't do. Because as I think you mentioned in your introduction, there can be a lot of fear associated with artificial intelligence and people should quite rightly be concerned about how we apply any new emerging technology. But to be able to understand what you need to be concerned about, you really need to have a good basic level understanding of what those technologies are. So the Queensland AI Hub will be looking to do all of those things, um, both help the people who are creating our AI technologies of the future here in Australia and making sure that Australia has that capability and then helping build the capability of government departments and industry who would like to apply AI technologies and then more generally helping, helping for everybody to understand what artificial intelligence is and how they might be able to apply it in their daily lives or learn skills to become AI practitioners. The reality of AI is that uh, it is going to displace some workers. But uh, from what I can see, the workers who are likely to be displaced are the ones who are already doing dirty or dangerous or... Uh, remote type jobs that uh, it's difficult to find people who are prepared to do it, uh, let alone the people who do it are liable to be injured on the job. So, uh, and at the same time, the history of innovation is full of examples of, of people down through the generations, down through the centuries, being really quite alarmed at new technologies when they come along and, and foreseeing doom and gloom. None more so than today with AI and other advanced technologies. So how do you see the impact of AI on on the employment world? Uh, How do you see that playing out in the years to come? Good points. I think 
that all the projections that I have seen suggest that artificial intelligence will actually increase the number of jobs that are available. So there will be a positive increase in the creation of new jobs that haven't existed in the past, but it will come at the cost of some jobs being displaced. So there will be new, new jobs, but they're not going to look the same as the jobs of the past. And I think the big challenge with any new emerging technology is how well we support people in our work environments to adapt to those changes and to incorporate the skills that they need to be able to apply to these emerging technologies. And that's actually a human problem and it's a workforce planning issue. It's not anything to do with the technology itself. In fact, the technology itself probably can't solve that for us. We need for um, most businesses to invest time and energy into having a look at their current workforce and their capabilities and map out what the capabilities are that they're going to require in the future and then chart some paths to success for their employees. I think it's the only uh, socially responsible thing to do. You hear a whole spectrum of opinion on this, everything from it's a disaster to a kind of techno-utopia. And sort of averaging it out to somewhere in the middle uh, uh, of what is likely to be the case. What seems to be emerging is the view, the reasonable view, that AI will come into practically every occupation, certainly every profession, and that uh, the people of the future who will prosper the most in the employment world are those who've learned how to use the tools, the technology tools, including AI, to do their jobs better, to be a force multiplier for their... So, so do, you, do you agree with that sort of idea that it's really going to be a helper for humanity, not the, uh, the master of humanity? Well, yes, and I wouldn't be doing this role if I didn't believe that. So I think that fundamentally artificial intelligence is a way to augment human potential. So there are many things that, as humans, we can't do or problems that we can't solve as humans alone, where artificial intelligence can really be that force multiplier to help us scale solutions to problems that we just can't solve by ourselves. I actually think that artificial intelligence is a way to enhance human creativity, which many people might find sounds a bit strange, but what it means is that you know, humans are limited by our imaginations. And when you bring artificial intelligence uh, into the equation, then it actually just opens up a whole new realm of possibilities and different ways of looking at solving problems that we haven't had access to in the past. And I think it just uh, will enable a, a whole range of creative enterprise that we have not seen in the past. So I'm very optimistic about what that future would look like, but I'm also pragmatic in the sense that unless we can support people to understand how they can best take advantage of these technologies, then it will be difficult. And I don't think people need to be afraid of this. If people can operate a games console or you know, uh, interact with any modern um, device like a mobile phone or a laptop, then you can benefit from artificial intelligence. In fact, Artificial intelligence probably pervades a lot of the things that you do every day without you even realising it. 
So that means that you can take advantage of it. And it's not like you have to go back and become a master at linear algebra to be able to get the benefits of AI. It's about understanding it enough to not be afraid of it. I've heard AI described in the same terms as electricity uh, a century ago, and electricity was a real game changer. Obviously, that uh, you know people found all sorts of uses to put it to things that were manually operated became electrified, and it created uh, countless new businesses, a whole new industry of basically manufacturing electrical equipment. I've heard AI compared to this in the sense that it is going to be, and probably already is, an enabling technology that will find its way into all sorts of objects, the Internet of Things, that uh, currently aren't enhanced but which might in the future be enhanced by creative people thinking of really interesting ideas to to do and and i think uh, that seems likely to be one source of the new jobs that are coming uh, in the whole area so in terms of the sort of scope across various industries what what sort of scope do you see for AI finding its way into various different industries? You know, just a very broad sample. As you mentioned, AI is an enabling technology, so there is no sector that couldn't benefit from the application of artificial intelligence. And I would imagine, you know, in perhaps even as little as 20 years, uh, if we were to catch up again after this podcast, just like electricity, we would not even be talking about it. It would just be something that, you know, you switch on your lights when you come into the office and it's working, you know, for you and enabling you to do things. And perhaps that's exactly how artificial intelligence will be. And we'll have embodied artificial intelligence in the form of robots uh, wandering around doing useful tasks for us. And again, we won't even notice it because we will think that it's like electricity and just a really handy thing that everyone has and uses. But I think that the the point that you made about how many new businesses could be created is something that we are only scratching the surface of. I think we haven't even begun to explore the range of possibilities that we could apply artificial intelligence to. And just like electricity, um, what needs to happen is that we need for people to have enough access to it to be able to experiment with how they can apply it in their own context And from there, I think you'll see a lot of magic happen. But it's not until we, uh, I guess, give people the tools to be able to use artificial intelligence and also overcome that fear that many people have that technology is too hard to learn that uh, we will really see a lot of those advances. But they're they're ready and waiting. Yeah. And so what is the current state of AI... um Industry in Australia. I mean, how many how many companies are actually doing something with this uh, currently? Well, I'd hope to have a clearer answer for you in about two months' time because we're just starting a capability study at the moment to answer that question. And it's not a simple question to answer. That's almost like saying who uses electricity in their company. Um, so certainly, when electricity was first invented, there would have been a period when there were only a few companies using it. Mm. Uh, but at the moment, it actually can be quite 
difficult to decipher who's using it. People don't necessarily use the term artificial intelligence. Uh, where do you draw the line? Are you only talking about people who create artificial intelligence technologies or are you talking about people who deploy ones that they've been able to get from a local supplier or just off the shelf? Mm. Um, so I think that there are a large number of companies. To, to give you a, a rough estimate of AI creators, I would say there'd be more than 5,000 companies in Australia, mm. uh, but that's a figure that we have yet to test. But we know that in robotics alone, that there are more than a thousand companies that develop robotics and robotics related technologies like sensing systems, uh, computer vision systems. Mm -hmm. And so you would have to think as robotics is only a small subset of artificial intelligence that you know the, the actual number of companies who are creating AI in Australia at the moment would, would be greater than 5,000. One source of um, confusion in the community is making the distinction between narrow AI, AI that's like Google Maps, that's really, really good at one thing, but it doesn't do anything else, and general AI, which can function in an unstructured environment in the same way, much the same way as a human might. And I think people are concerned that general AI is coming and that it will uh, be somehow hostile or you know, harmful in some way. Now, first question really is, in your opinion, and I know it's a very moving target and lots of difference of opinion on this, but when do you think general AI will, will arrive properly? Well, I don't know that we'll ever have a general AI that will really do everything that a human can do, ever. Just because humans are evolving systems that you know, are learning uh, you know, from within the womb, and we have a whole range of experiences that I think is very hard to replicate in a machine. Um, I think, though, that one of the reasons that it's so important that we give people access to artificial intelligence technologies so that they can experiment with them themselves is so that people get an awareness of how far away we are from a true general artificial intelligence. Because as you say, most artificial intelligence applications really are very task-oriented. So they're very good at solving a particular problem, but then if you try and do something else, uh, they're not anywhere near as adaptable as a human. And a good example of this were that you know, many people were quite concerned when AlphaGo, um, which was developed by Google's DeepMind, was able to beat the World Go champion, Lisa Dell. And, you know, many heralded it as, as, you know, a, a real challenge to our humanity. But, you know, really, if I'd been Lee, I would have just uh, immediately turned around and challenged AlphaGo to a game of poker because it, it, it had been developed specifically for one purpose. And it was great at that one purpose, although Lee did manage to get one game uh, off it out of the three. And, uh, yes, but it couldn't do anything else. And so I think that understanding the limitations of these technologies is equally as important as understanding the opportunities. Uh, and I think that that would go a long way towards reducing people's fear of these technologies. Um, and I often say, you know, as someone who you know, used to work in a robotics lab, you know, it, it was hard not to often feel sorry for these technologies sometimes because of their limitations. Robots still struggle to open doors, go up and down stairs, uh, getting to a lift are uh, things that we just take for granted. Yeah. From my point of view, I, I see that 
tools like AI, they should be seen as tools, and we humans are wonderful tool makers. We've been doing that for however long humans have existed. We've been very inventive that way, and this is really the latest tool, probably the most powerful. But uh, what's really interesting about that idea is that I think technology at its best allows people to become more human, allows them to explore their human capabilities beyond what they would be able to do without that technology tool. And, you know, I've heard it said that, uh, well, what would Mozart have done without the technology of musical instruments, etc.? What would Steven Spielberg have done without the technology of movie making? Uh, and that the technology that is being produced can be seen as a tool that allows people to become even more human than they currently are to expand as a uh, you know into something like their full humanity i mean that's a very sort of noble and pie in the sky sort of uh, vision of things but uh, that's kind of where i see things going the direction uh, that i see them going um, I-, I was just wondering in terms of sort of a macro vision where would you see things headed in the in the you know middle to distant future with with this? Uh, well, I actually think that we we will be starting to head into territory where humans uh, do become cyborgs. So as we get older, uh, you know, and you know, as a wealthy country, people want to have healthy old ages. What it means is that we are developing more and more um, prosthetics and implants that will help people to live long, healthy lives. And as, if, if, you, if you think about that, uh, what it means is that we are likely to be accepting machines into part of our, parts of our bodies. Mm. So if you have a look at a simple example of that, a pacemaker, pacemaker is essentially a, a, you know, a cybernetic mm. system. So it will um, make decisions on your behalf. So if there is a problem with the blood flow in your heart, your pacemaker will decide to correct that problem. You don't have to consciously make any decision. So you can imagine that, you know, as you get older, you might decide that you want to have uh, parts replaced uh, and the temptation will be that as these parts get smarter, they will actually be cybernetic systems that potentially make decisions on your behalf and where then does the boundary between human and machine lie? And to your point, I think that rather than being afraid of this uh, transition, I think it is a great opportunity for us to really step back and ask what it means to be human because I think those boundaries will increasingly evaporate. And back to your point on tools... One area, well, another reason why it's so important for people to understand more about these technologies is so that they can exert some control over how they're developed. And one difference between AI as a tool and electricity as a tool is that AI can actually be used quite effectively to manipulate you uh, in a way that electricity can't, unless perhaps you're getting shock therapy. <laughs> uh, but in general, we do not use electricity for that purpose, okay? so But with artificial intelligence, um, particularly in embodied artificial intelligence like robots, we know that there is a, um, a, a phenomenon that we call robotic nudging, 
where you can influence people to make decisions that you want them to make uh, by the way that a robot interacts with them. And we do, humans are very susceptible to this. So you're more likely to respond to the advice that you get from a robot than even the advice that you might get from another human. And certainly, in the embodiment of that artificial intelligence is very powerful. So you might respond to advice from a robot that you wouldn't respond to if you got that message from your iPhone. Because you don't think of your iPhone as a... It doesn't appear human to you. But robots often can. And I think we're going to be facing some interesting dilemmas in the future over how we should allow these technologies to be developed and, and what we should... What our at least minimum expectations are in terms of, you know, I think we should always make sure that humans are in control, particularly when it comes to things like the development of cybernetics. Uh, and, you know, we can't exert that control if we don't understand the technology. An interesting area from an ethical point of view. And uh, uh, it seems to me that, you know, the human tendency or, or our liking to anthropomorphise our technology, and the more human it is, the better we like it because we can relate to it. And it is possible to construct technology to be very human-like so that uh, we can interact very comfortably with it. But at some point, personal view on this is that currently technology cannot be made to suffer in the sense that if you throw your computer on the floor, it just breaks. It doesn't suffer any pain as a result. But if, a, if an AI or a, an appliance is, is developed to the point where it has emotions and you know, so that it is more relatable, then theoretically it's going to be possible to make that AI suffer through abuse. And uh, you know, to me it seems that a good rule of thumb would be if something is capable of suffering, then it should not be made to suffer. The movie Blade Runner explored that whole area. The, the, the cyborgs were more human than human. They were, their capabilities exceeded the human. But they were made in a way that they were sure to suffer and that was seen to be all right. But that was one of the main points of the movie, was that it, they should not have been doing that. So I, I wondered if you had any view on, on that particular area in the future when AI has developed to the point where it's, you know, it's not human, but it's, it's, it's sentient in the sense that it can, you know, it's aware and it can suffer. Yeah, I'm not sure that I can really imagine a time when... Uh machines would ever have actual emotions. They can fake emotions mm. very well. Yeah. Uh, but I think you make a good point. I think just as we have to preserve our own rights to be free of any uh, undue influence from technology, in Korea, for example, they actually do have robot rights. And I think the fact that we anthropomorphise our technology and that we have embodied artificial intelligence in the form of robots means that, and we respond to those um, embodied AI manifestations as if they're human, means that we have to have rules around how those are treated. Because if you treat them badly, you're really, it really goes a long way to, to how you feel about humans. Mm. Because that boundary is becoming blurred. If we respond to them emotionally in a way that we would respond to a human. In fact, they've done an interesting study where they actually had some participants 
in a room um, where they got to familiarise themselves with a small robot. And then the researcher came in and gave them a pair of scissors and asked them to destroy the robot. And none of the participants, all of the participants refused mm. to destroy the robot. And in some cases, when the researcher came back into the room, they put themselves between the researcher and the robot because they had felt that the task meant that the robot was going to be destroyed. Mm. So I think for a number of different reasons, and I think just for our own <laughs> humanity, we need to make sure that these things are not mistreated because really, where does, where, where does the line stop? If you allow mistreatment of things that you feel like they're human, mm. then it's not very far to push the line that you would find that acceptable to do to a human. Yeah. It brings us to probably the most contentious area of AI, uh, and that is weaponized AI, autonomous um, AI-controlled weapons. Now, there's quite a spectrum of opinion on this. There are those who are dead set against it, all the way up to those who say, well, I'd rather see a, a robot go into war than my 20-year-old son. Uh, you know, that's fine by me. So what are some of the, um, the factors that would make for satisfactory use of AI in weaponry, if any, in your opinion? As you say, it is a contentious issue. I think that, you know, at the bare minimum, people need to accept that Australia will be at risk of threats from other countries who are developing weaponised AI, and we have to be able to defend ourselves. Yeah. And so I think that has to be, like, you know, the, the baseline for, from which we then discuss how our military might use artificial intelligence. Because, you know, for our own soldiers protection, we need to understand how it can be weaponised and how we can protect our soldiers from such attacks. Uh, and then, you know, there are some things where it is just more practical. So my understanding is that on, uh, you know, naval vessels, uh, they need to deploy artificial intelligence to be able to protect them from missile attacks because by the time a person would pick up those attacks, it would be too late. So there are just some areas where I think it is uh, it is just going to be part of the modern military and there is no two ways around that. Now, in terms of whether you um, weaponise AI and use that as an offensive weapon, um, I don't see a lot of appetite for that in Australia. Although I do note that there has been a few points made about how it's actually probably a lot easier to stick with the Geneva Conventions if you program those into your artificial intelligence, then it is often for human soldiers to be able to apply those in the heat of battle. So I think that's a question that people need to ask themselves. I mean, ideally, soldiers would behave, you know, according to the rules of engagement that, that they are given, but, you know, we're human. That's not always possible. But you can program an AI to make sure that they don't cross the line. So I think people need to have a look at the potential upsides of taking some of those decisions away from humans. Uh, but it certainly has to be something that's really well thought through um, and importantly communicated with people. Um, and again, I guess this goes back to that whole idea that we need for people to understand more about these technologies and not be frightened of them so that we can have these important discussions with everybody and, and people can feel included and feel that they have something to contribute. Yeah, I think that sums it up very nicely. Um, 
Well, Sue, that's been an excellent discussion. Uh, but before we finish, uh, is there anything you would like to add to what you've already said? Um, well, maybe just a little bit more on you know what the Queensland AI Hub is trying to achieve. And I think that Australia really is at a pivotal moment in history where we can embrace emerging technologies and really you know, drive our economy forward and really try and upskill everybody or you know we do run the risk of being left behind mm. and that's the main reason that I took this role on because I think we're at that pivotal point where we have to make sure that we are making sure that we're taking everyone along on the journey and that not only are we applying AI but that we're creating opportunities to create artificial intelligence because we'll never truly see the benefits of all of these technologies if we're just consumers of them and we're importing them from other places. So I guess, you know, I really, um, I just urge everyone to, to try and overcome the fear of AI to really learn more about what AI actually is and what it means and how they might actually um, try and experiment with it in their own lives and businesses. Well, that's been an excellent uh, insight into the world of AI and I thank you very much indeed. Thanks, David.